Welcome, Tethered Nation. This is your number one saddle hunting resource. You're about to find out why Chuck Norris wears tethered pajamas. We're in Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines. We are at the, what's this place? What's the show called? The Iowa Deer Classic. We're at the Iowa Deer Classic in the Marriott Hotel, and we got some interesting dudes here. So we'll start We'll start here, and then we'll just kind of introduce everybody so everybody knows who's talking. Yeah, so this is Ernie, uh, Tethered. You probably heard me some times here and there before. Alex Gilstrom, uh, freelance outdoor writer, content creator, marketing guy. And who do you work for currently? Uh, currently work for uh, Whitetail Properties. Whitetail yep. Properties. I am Mike Carney. I'm the chief operating officer for uh, Outdoor Sportsman Group. We own three television networks, 15 magazines, 20-some websites, and a hardcore saddle enthusiast. So your job then is kind of like a phone-it-in, don't really have a lot of responsibility yeah, kind of deal. Exactly. Feet yeah. up sounds kind of like, That's know, what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, don't really do much. Ten, just kinda, ten to two. Just kinda, <laughs> You just here, you there. <laughs> he punches the clock and gets a paycheck. Yeah. I get it. So anything that you guys saw at the show this week that was pretty cool? We've been here for a few days now. Uh, anything that stuck out to anybody? New products, new companies, anything cool? Alex? I would say it just continues to baffle me the quality of the bucks that this state cranks oh out year after goodness. year. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, the, I mean, you just the, the hall of fame section of the, of the buck display on its by itself is, is staggering. But, but when you continue to see, you know, this year's deer that, that hunters passionate, you know, Iowa residents have brought into this place is just unbelievable. I well, mean, it's shocking. I mean, it's embarrassing, is what it is. It's like, it's like, <laughs> For a couple northern boys, right? Yeah, well, it changes your total perspective yeah. on like, yeah. holy cow, these things get this big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the combination of, uh, you know, the right kind of soil and elements in the soil, and the right kind of feed year round and agriculture, and you know, good game management overall. Like and it, like, if you grew up here, you never knew. It's like, oh, this is, this is just what whitetail hunting yeah. is, right? Yeah. Like, you you are so warped in your. I grew up on Lake Erie, right? And anybody who likes to walleye fish, like that, it, there's nothing else that even comes close. But if that's your only exposure to walleye fishing, like you're completely spoiled. <laughs> right. Yeah. If any of these else. people came to my house. They would literally be like, you spent money to mount that? I mean, it's it's like the things that I'm the most proud of are passes down here. It's like crazy. Yeah, because everybody knows there's 180s behind every tree. Right, of course. I mean. But what's so cool about that is it's all relative, right? Like, right. I mean, even like, I Bingo. mean, being me being from Michigan, you already being from Minnesota, it's like we, we know. Like, I mean, even you down south, like we get it. Like, it's. Just like how proud you you said it, like how proud you are of what's what's on your wall, what you've achieved, and and what's relative there. It's like you can still have a conversation from a guy who puts a booner on the wall here, and you guys still connect and kind of relate at the same level, sure. you know, which is it's awesome. I mean, that's what's so exciting. And about it's, what and it's not just the inches; it's what you had to do to sure. get that particular animal, like how hard earned it was. Oh, I have, like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I tell people all the time, like I've got 
I've got stuff on the wall that is not like what people would call a record book. But and when I come in and I see that animal and all of a sudden I get like it's like a flashback. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember the hike. I remember the setup. I remember the struggle. I remember all the little details that go into that. So that mount on the wall is more than, yeah, it's a great animal. It's like a, it's like a little reminder of the experience. And I think that, to me, is more important than size. Like how much went into it and how the story went is way more important than any size for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah, I, I agree, but it, it is impressive when it's we were still fun to look it's at. Still it's fun still fun to look at them. I mean, I, I forget I forget the, the full story, but we had some of the guy we had some of the crew from uh, Raised at Full Draw who a lot of people have seen the Raised Hunting Show. Mm-hmm. They do uh they do camps for kids called Raised at Full Draw and uh, they were in the booth today like checking everything out and he was telling us this story of this giant buck it was like 240 inches yeah 250 inches number eight in the state silly and it was number eight what state this state Iowa. Iowa. when he showed us the pictures like he told us the story and everything and we were like okay cool you know that's (laughs) that's a cool story like a lot of people have done that like had i asked he had a history they found the sheds you know yada yada they named everything and then he shows us the buck and we're like oh my god is that a world record no it's number eight in (laughs) iowa but that guy too he had the same amount of enthusiasm as Ernie over, you know, the buck that means a lot to him because mm-hmm. he worked so hard for it. And, and Minnesota is no slouch. There's no. a lot Absolutely. of big come out of Minnesota. Yep. Absolutely. Especially like southeast Minnesota, yeah. right? Right. Well, it used to be. Uh, southeast was dynamite. Uh, well, it wasn't. So it's, southeast has been a, a, a little iffy. So it was – it wasn't all that good for a while. I mean, you'd pull a big deer out of there every now and then, but then they put in the antler point restriction, and all of a sudden, people are letting these littler deer walk. Um, and all of a sudden, there's decent tens that you're seeing. You know, each year, you'd see a nice buck, and it's like, yeah, this is getting awesome. Uh, and then they found CWD in the area, mm-hmm. and now they're killing everything. You can get three buck tags in Minnesota right now in in that section of the state and one anywhere else and just whack them all they it's it's party hunting it's unlimited does it's three bucks per person and uh they've just basically decimated what was starting to be like a big buck area um now i don't know if that's uh you know like a pattern but i've seen it other places where they put in an antler point restriction deer start getting big which means they get older and older deer are more susceptible to be test positive for CWD. And as soon as that happens, then they wipe the area out. And it's like a revolving door of grow the deer, get the CWD, wipe them out. And I've seen it in several other places over the country in the last couple of years. Um, well, isn't that area right across the river from Buffalo County, Wisconsin? Basically. I mean, it's not right across the river, but it's the same type of habitat. There's, there's all the potential in the world to have the same animals as Buffalo County. Everything is there. Yeah. It's just a management deal. And you guys share a border with Iowa. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Same corner. I mean, that is Iowa and Buffalo County and Minnesota are all in that same triangle. You would think there'd be just giants everywhere. Um, But, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's the the landowners doing their personal job of management or the state, how they're managing, it's just not. Hmm. Interesting. What do you think about all that, Mike, as far as how the – management of property owners you know 
relates to growing big bucks. It's tough, right? Like, and in, in that example where you have essentially all the right ingredients yeah. to grow big bucks, right. right? So what's the difference between those three locations you talked about? Right? Yeah. That's where I guess, like for me, you have to break it down. Like if I were, if I could choose the state that I want to retire to right now, I haven't quite convinced the missus. Like I've got to like show her there are shopping malls in Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> like I would retire here for what I like to do the most. Like it would be, uh, maybe I could throw Kentucky as a close too. Illinois is great where I currently live. Really? When you get two tags in Illinois, right? Kentucky. Oh, yes. Surprised by that. Okay. Yeah, Kentucky. Kentucky. Um, combination of weather, other, like, love to fish. Sure. Lots mm-hmm. of good fishing down there, too. Um, certain parts of the state growing big bucks. Yeah. Um, good taxes. Yep. You know, uh, budget surplus in the state, unlike <laughs> the state I live yeah. in. <laughs> now, uh, like, when you beat. Louisiana, for the most, uh, for the worst politics, the most crooked state out of the 50, like, you're really doing something. So, (laughs) you know, great natural resources, but not a place I would ever retire. Um, And if it were just, uh, I were a single man retiring, oh, it would be Iowa in a second. There's a reason that there are so many TV show hosts who live in this state. Sure. Uh, I mean, they all moved down here. Lee and yeah. Tiffany are from Minnesota, mm-hmm. but they moved down to Iowa. I mean, everybody comes to Iowa. Eventually, yeah. yeah. It seems like like it's the collection point, and that's because, you know, you can shoot three deer. You get a chance at three bucks, excuse me. You get a chance at really quality whitetails, um, both you and your spouse or children, so you can get a lot accomplished. In a state like this, from a from a production standpoint. Oh, well, I draw a non-resident tag next year, so I'm pretty excited about it. And I'm I'll start researching it pretty hardcore this summer and figuring out where I want to go. I've never hunted Iowa. I've hunted Illinois. I've hunted you know I've hunted I haven't hunted Minnesota. I need to hunt Minnesota. I've hunted Wisconsin and all those other states. Kansas, in Missouri. No, that's the other one. I should draw a Kansas tag this year. So yeah, that that be that might be another state that I would put in the mix of yeah. like mm-hmm. retirement. Places I mean, if you're too. talking big buck states, Iowa and Kansas have to be one and two. In what hey, they got to be absolutely, I in my opinion, with an Illinois and a Missouri maybe in the yeah. three and four. Like if current I were current production. It. If you sure. just look at history over like Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett. Like Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yeah, but they also have a lot more population, too. So the numbers are skewed a little bit. You hit the nail on the head right there. Wisconsin screwed it up, though. I mean, Wisconsin cannot manage their herd. Um, When I first started hunting Wisconsin, you could – you get a buck tag. It was a – it's a one-per-weapon state, right? So you could get three buck tags if you wanted to buy an archery, a rifle, whatever. But the first probably three, four years I hunted Wisconsin – it was unlimited doe tags, $2 a tag. You could shoot nine a day. <laughs> because you're trying to get rid of CWD? No, it was just that's, that's how they just... managed it. And now it's a lottery to get a doe tag. Like, how did you go from so many deer that you're allowed to shoot nine a day to you can't even give a license out for a doe tag without a lottery? Who's in charge of that system to the point that they screwed it up that bad? Hmm. 
A lot of people say the same thing about Minnesota. When I moved to Brainerd mm-hmm. in 2000, like there were deer everywhere. It's like, holy cow, the states. No, they didn't have huge deer up there. North. No, it's just big numbers. But yeah, there was really solid. Hey, that was great, right? Like every sit, you're seeing animals. It's a wonderful experience, right? Uh, I don't think it's that rosy in your state. Mm-hmm. It's. It depends. Like, there's portions of the state that uh, they were down to, um, like, a hunter's choice. You had to pick. You could shoot a buck or a doe in that zone, and it was a one tag. Um, Most of the hunter's choice are now up to two deer. But you still got some zones that are five. And and anywhere around the metro, it's, like, unlimited. So, yeah. So you didn't seem to like, like that statement that I made. Or agree with it when I said Kansas and Iowa number one. You think Wisconsin is number one? Um, well, if you look at past production. If you look at the record book. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Like history-wise, you can't escape that, right? Sure. But it's what currently yeah. is happening is what like, I think you need to look at. And I've, I would agree with you. I think Iowa and Kansas would be like if you're looking for a trophy, like, that's pretty tough to beat those two up. I'm sure some smart smart dude is listening that's got all the facts, but I would guess, and I am uneducated and I'm a self-professed idiot right here, but I would bet bet per capita of hunters, Iowa and Kansas have got to do better than Wisconsin. But maybe not. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's I, I personally put a lot of stock in both Iowa and Kansas. Kansas probably even more so than Iowa simply from, and you said it earlier, Greg, was population is being a very passionate, devout public land bow hunter, I want to get away from people, right, when right. it comes to public land. And I have found nowhere better to do that than Kansas. Yeah. And um, I, I've been hunting Kansas a long time and, and hunting a lot of public access property out there and seen some very – you've been blessed enough to be able to take some really good deer and, and even see some, some even in, truly impressive uh, deer. And I think it's – I agree with you. I think when you can get into the, the, the caliber – They've got the food. Maybe not on the surface. It doesn't look like cover, but there's they can hide. They can get away, and they can hide, and then get old. But I, I think you know a huge, a huge element of that of that formula is uh, is just the low populations and low number of people. They just there's just not as many people there. I know if I could wave a magic wand and get a tag in any state, I'd be happy with Iowa or Kansas before Wisconsin. But I did get banned from Wisconsin. <laughs> I got so it's, I, I was formally yeah, oh, yeah formally yeah. I wasn't allowed to hunt in the state Legally of Wisconsin banned. for three years so maybe I have a little bit of a rough spot yeah. for, for the Wisconsin <laughs> a little animosity people. there yeah when I was story yeah when I was I, when I was young my dad bought when I graduated from college my dad took me to Wisconsin on a guided hunt that's kind of like a congratulations deal mm-hmm. you know. And uh, we went with an outfitter. Turns out that outfitter was totally, like, bonkers crooked. He got all of his land uh, taken from the, from the, by the feds. He went to jail. A lot of people went to jail um, around this guy. But ultimately, it's my fault. Anytime you go into the woods as a hunter. And you're the you, license holder. Yeah. You are responsible to know the laws. And so, at the time, this was a long time ago. This was, like, early 2000s. Uh, it still may be the same. Wisconsin was an earn a buck state. So mm-hmm. you had to shoot a doe and check yep. it in, and then you would get your buck tag. Well, I'm from the state of Florida, 
and we don't even have tags in Florida. You buy your license, and you can shoot, like you're talking about Wisconsin, or, yeah, Wisconsin, you could shoot a whole bunch of deer a day. In the state of Florida back in the day, you bought your license, and you could shoot two deer a day for five months. Wow. No check-ins, no call-ins, no tagging the animal. You just, that's what you're allowed to do. So when we show up to Wisconsin and the guide says, you know, he told us it wasn't that big of a deal, like they want you to check in a doe, uh, but it's like user preference. And you know, I was like, well, you know, I didn't shoot a doe first. I saw a buck and I shot the buck. Didn't know anything about it. Got home. Next thing, knock on the door. It's the feds. Oh, and there's this big case and they ended up taking Feds. Oh, yeah. The federal game wardens went after this guy. He were They were breaking all kind of rules. I didn't see any of it. I didn't know. I was a 20-year-old kid. Like, I didn't know any better. But so what they were doing is they were getting – they were, like, killing does, like one doe, and then lots of people were checking in it that in. Doe. I've heard about this. They were getting roadkill <laughs> yeah. does and checking in roadkill does yep. to get – like, totally breaking the rules. And, again – So the feds came to your door or his door? My door. Well, they came to his door, too, and he went to prison. So for me, all they did was they actually confiscated my bow and the animal, ended up giving the bow back, and they kept the animal, they kept the deer head, and mm-hmm. I got like a $500 fine, and I wasn't allowed to hunt in the state of Wisconsin. And the game wardens, they, they, like, they got it. They right. understood. They were like, right. you, were, you were not the for person sure taking we were advantage trying of, taking to get advantage a hold of. of yeah. you know? right. But at the same time, like, Dude, you got to know the rules. It's your, like yeah. it's your fault. You mm-hmm. you bought the license, and I agree with them. You know, mm-hmm. I probably did deserve something, but at the same time, like when you pay an outfitter, you pay a guy. You're trusting them to tell you what the right thing to do is. But I guess it's one of those buyer beware situations. Sure. You know, you got to know what you're getting into. Well, in that earn a buck system, um, it had its flaws. I I was hunting during that time, and uh, <clears throat> it was set up so that if you killed two does this year you could qualify one of those does as your earn a buck next year Mm. and what that did is it gave you a buck tag on day one otherwise you had to kill a doe and you might be on day one out hunting and not have a buck tag so what people do is they would try and kill an extra doe this year so that they had a buck tag for next year and exactly like you said People would go register a deer, and back then when you registered a deer, they put a metal tag. It was like a, a metal zip tie. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. <laughs> and uh, they would literally drive to a gas station, register it, cut it off, drive to the next gas station, register it again, <laughs> and get- cut it off, go to the next station, register it again, and 10 guys would register this doe the last week of season so that they would have a buck tag first day next year. And... Uh, it was super common, and, and it was a flawed system. That earn a buck had all kinds of problems, but w- the story you're talking about where it's like people would re-register the same doe over and over and over, it was a common story. I heard it before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our, I mean, like I said, our guide ended up going to prison. They were doing lots of other shady stuff, and I don't want to get, like, too far into the weeds on it, but they were, like, hunting deer out of season. They were just bad dudes, so – Buyer, isn't your dad yeah, a pastor and this is the people <laughs> yeah. he associated with? Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. I mean, it was it was a bad time because, you know, my dad didn't know. Obviously, we paid a guide. He just right. thought we were totally legit. So, And we weren't doing anything. We weren't hunting out of season or anything like that. So we were there mid-November on a, you know, that was a Midwest whitetail rut. We were in the dream. You the were dream. living the dream. From a couple Florida. oranges <laughs> coming up. Yeah. From- <laughs> yeah. 
exactly. So, but I guess that's a way to circle around to hopefully I get a Kansas tag this year, maybe an Iowa tag next year, and then whew, that's just heaven. So has anybody yeah. heard? I've I've heard a lot of talk this week uh, about EHD in Iowa. Like Sean has like five or six points, and he's like talking about not using them next year specifically because of EHD. Mm. Because he's concerned there'll be fewer yeah fewer bucks. Pop- quality I mean, EHD is a brutal deal, right? It kills a lot of deer <clears throat> in a hurry, and he's just like, I have five points. I don't want to waste them if there's no deer down there. The the what I have heard from multiple people, and again, I can't speak from personal experience because I don't live here or own ground here. But spotty, spotty cases. I mean, it's some some are worse worse than others, I guess. But I haven't heard too extensive damage done this year. But sure. uh, yeah, but I mean, I could understand his his concern. If I mean, from here, what he's hearing or who he's hearing it from, yeah. Well, definitely. and and it's a big state, right? right. Exactly like you said. I yeah. mean, you may have situations Pockets. here and there and whatever. Mm, right. And as long as you kind of avoid that. Um, Where's Sean from? Wisconsin. Okay. Yep. So he's he's familiar with both EH and CWD. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, Sean's one of those guys that checks in all the multiple does to get 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 dough buck tags for all his buddies now. <laughs> Come no, on, I'm don't start kidding. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. just kidding. Yeah. Sean, would, he would never break the rules. He's no, Mr. No. Stickler. I mean. This guy drives two miles under the speed limit. He's not going <laughs> to break any rules. Yeah. No, not not a chance. Anybody else doing any any big hunts this year? I, I mean, like I said, Kansas for me, that's a that's bucket list state. So if I draw the tag, I'm pretty pumped. I'm going to kill an elk out of a tree saddle. Well, no, you're not. Not on film. That's debatable. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> I'm going to sabotage Is there a bounty? <laughs> Is there a, a bet? The race, just, the race to the elk. I know. It's, between it's between been, Greg and it's been going line. for a couple I've, years now. Yeah, I've seen uh, back in the day the Summit guys had a program and they killed quite a few elk out of climbing stands on alfalfa fields, um, out of bedding areas going to okay uh, fields, water holes. I've seen water right holes in is them. huge. Yeah. Yep, yep. And that's uh, where we're trying to push saddles into the western market so that guys can hunt a water hole sure well i mean and look they all um i I shouldn't say they all many of them complain about having trees like lots of cottonwoods and challenging trees for a tree stand right areas where a tree saddle should excel right absolutely like really i or i have to pack in three miles right. just to get to yeah. the spot like i just want to i can't uh, i can't take a stand all the way but well now you can yeah. so just out of curiosity what are the dates of your hunt <laughs> <laughs> i'm not divulging because i know there's a couple other people i know there's a couple other people that are trying to make that make that happen well if the diy sportsman if garrett is listening <laughs> yeah. right now he he tried to do it last year. He went to Colorado. So he, did we. He and we went yeah, to I know. Montana. He and I had a little, a little, you know, we were giving each other crap because we were both trying to do it. And he went the week before me to oh, Colorado. Yeah. Tried to cut you he off. He did. He did that son of a. <laughs> and then I went to Montana and I tried. I sat the first, uh, the first day or the second day of the hunt. Man, I sat daylight to dark on a water hole, and I, and that's tough because those are long days, long that days. time of year. Well, and and, and it was in a phantom prototype. It was in a the, phantom prototype. Your first phantom hunt was an all day sit. That is true. The first, and that was the first hunt of the year. It was like September, 
deer season wasn't even open yet. So I, you know, second week of September what or whatever. What is this phantom you speak of? <laughs> Probably not worth talking about. Yeah, I don't what know. is that? <laughs> so you got to check it out. Yeah, oh, my gosh. What did you think of it? Unreal. And the subtleties is what blew my mind. I mean, the Mantis, is it, it's lightweight. It's versatile. Obviously, you know, YouTube, this podcast, you guys, I mean, check it out. It, it's, it's awesome. But just for – you guys to be so innovative can come up with something that's so versatile and, and resurge, right? Resurge something that it was, that was, that was, you know, used in the past and decades ago now and, and make it cool again. And not only that, but just highly functional, but then say, okay, wait, we're going to take something that was really, really good. And then we're going to improve on it even more with the, with the subtleties and, and for those subtleties to make the difference that they make is in, incredible. And I mean, I think, and it's funny because you said Kansas, like your your bucket list, right? You're so excited to to go to to go to Kansas this fall, and you should draw. You know, Mike brought up a really really good point about the cottonwood trees. So I've hunted Kansas uh, personally the last nine years, and there's cottonwoods everywhere. Where I mean, I'm, you find the river bottoms, the river systems, and 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 you know that's a lot of times where you find really good deer and. And it you you felt so handicapped because you were just like where do We're I get all yeah. funky shaped and, and big and yeah ranchy weird it changed crazy bark the game I mean absolutely changed the game the versatility you could actually finally get where you needed to get and and be versatile and I and I think that's what I think hunters who are giving it a chance keeping an open mind um, finding the the, the you know working with it long enough to get comfortable with it and be comfortable in it shoot from it um it's it was it, it changed the game for me especially like like in states like Kansas and I think you're gonna it'll be so fun for you when you get to go and 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 you're not gonna be handicapped at all by by any type of like um Mike said it really good today in a seminar you know here at the deer classic was you know the, the, don't let the tree choose you you choose the tree and mm -hmm. I think that was I mean it was very very well put because that is exactly what you're able to do with this system that's cool and mike you've tested it i mean you were one of our early prototypers you actually had one of the one of the prototype to the prototypes i did so you've kind of seen the whole deal from first model first idea to v2 to v3 to final production and when we first chatted after i got it like like looking at it face value was okay. Like I could see the utility bridge and the comfort channels on uh, the connection for the bridge, but until you hunted out of it, like you really couldn't tell the benefit from that. Um, and someone just starting and like slapping that on and like just thinking, oh yeah, this is how all saddles feel and. They're this adaptable and this like no. <laughs> I almost think I almost no. think people like that want to get into saddle hunting need to be like you have to do okay for one week you're required to use a mantis, and then you get to use a phantom like just to see <laughs> just to like see the difference I because think that you got to go back further than that like you got to go back yeah. to the original yeah the, the, trophy yeah. lines <laughs> you've got to like, you've got to find gear on Craigslist yeah it yeah up, sell your stuff together well like uh, guy you work with Garrett. Right, like yeah. Garrett was one of the early proponents. Sure, like they were all over yep, saddle very hunting, true. and they used like com comparatively to today, huge, like bulky, ridiculous. It's arbor. It was arborous gear. I right, mean, really. stuff I would never even look. That's why the first saddle hunting equipment. I so like, no, that's 
not ready for prime time, right? Well, it but worked those... good as an ATV cover. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, no offense to those right, pioneers, right. right? Like, John Eberhardt has killed a lot of good animals on a really, what I would consider difficult stuff to hunt on. Sure. Right? Um, but when you, when you put on that current product, like, that's when I think it really shines. Like, you need to sit, like, have an all-day sit. So you see, like, what the benefits of those things, of those features really are. The utility bridge, the – am I pronouncing that right? Sure, whatever. Yeah. What do you guys call it? <laughs> it's just it? a name. You know how he came up with that name? <laughs> this is – so people, like, they think that we're smart people at Tethered and we know we're what we're doing. And, and – <laughs> I don't remember who it was, but we had to send in a description of our products for your gear guide. Oh, yeah. And they were like, we need pictures and descriptions of everything now. The the Peterson's bow hunting yes. gear guide. And I yes. think it was for the ATA edition. It yes. was. It was. And so I sat down at my computer. I got the email, and I was going somewhere. I was like, crap, we got to come up with stuff. So I said... The Phantom has comfort channels and a what should I call this thing? It's pretty useful. It's got a lot of utility. Utila bridge. <laughs> I typed it up and sent there it you in. Go. Yeah, but that's that's and it. That's how fun. it happened. Um, and then Carl hated it, and I don't think you liked it either. It works fine. I mean, I like some of our acronyms better. They're fun. Yeah. Um, but the Utila bridge gets the point across. Yeah. So anyway, it's more descriptive than say an. Uh, Sis hauler. Yeah, a story. When you don't know, right. <laughs> like when I first saw this, I was like, the hell is a yeah, sis hauler? Yes, my yes. Like little sis, like what yeah. the hell does this mean? Like, no, doesn't mean that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. We try to have fun with it. I mean, whatever. I think. And, yeah, so anyways, Alex, my. You have, or go ahead. I was going to say. My point was until you actually use that and sit in it and feel the functionality right. of it, you really don't. You can't appreciate the benefits of that until you sit in it. Sure. For like a whole hunt, right? Like looking at a saddle online is a whole lot different than sitting in a saddle in an actual hunt and seeing how functional sure. the feature set of that yeah. saddle is. And that's the point of our teaching trains and our trade shows. Um, yes, we have stuff for sale, but it's educational. The whole point is get out there and play with this. Absolutely. Stuff. Um, yeah. But to kind of circle back, do you have a, a good hunt coming up, Alex? Like something you're really looking forward to this year? You know, it was a – I was due, you know, for a, for a kind of get knocked in the dirt season, and I definitely got that this year. I, I, I've been very, very fortunate and had good success the last few years, and I, I got my absolute butt kicked uh, in the 2019 deer season, and it was, it was really tough, and I had – a lot of big deer really close to me and it just didn't, didn't come together for a variety of reasons, but, um, it's not always I, bad. No, it, Oh, absolutely. And that's what I was. Yeah. I mean, reflective, like now reflecting back on the season, I'm hungrier now for this fall than I've ever been. And I've, I know it's a long ways away. Well, isn't it? <laughs> I know, but I've, I've been walking. I mean, I mean, I, this is my favorite time of the year. I actually spend more hours in the field postseason scouting than I actually, I, I would, I would argue I spend more time in the field, this time of the year in the next two months than I actually do in the fall because I just enjoy the process so much. And I'm looking for, and, and to your question, Ernie, about, you know, destination hunts or whatever, I'm going to go to, I'm, you know, planning on Kansas again this year, probably South Dakota, but 
kind of around home. Uh, I've, I've I've been checking out some new public areas around where and I live in Western Illinois. Just to describe his home, he lives in one of the best <laughs> counties in the entire state of Illinois, which is a very good place. Like when so when he says he's had a rough worked over fall, like. He is in lit what they call the Golden Triangle, oh, yeah. That's right. Illinois, yeah. and maybe the tip of the the goldest part of the yeah. Golden oh, Triangle. Is, is Pike shiniest. County still like a thing in Illinois, or is that kind of gone away? It is what? really, you know, excitingly. And so, like to Mike's point, he's exactly right. Golden Triangle, it's a magical place. It is beautiful. The deer are great. Um, I unfortunately do not have the uh, the capital to take full advantage of such situations, <laughs> meaning owning or leasing. So I, I rely on whatever public ground I can get my get my feet and my hands on around the area. But uh, still, incredible hunting and an incredible place. But to your to your question, Greg, it it actually is. It's really coming back strong. Yeah. Um, it, I would say you know much like anywhere else in the Midwest, the 2012 EHD kind of. It hammered them bad. I mean, really kind of leveled the the herds and, and the quality. But things are. I mean, we've had fortunate to have some mild winters and have some really good timely rains to where you know they can put on some antler growth and, and get some age on them too. And yeah. um, I think the last two years have been been pretty special. And, and you know, barring you know, knock on wood. No disease this this year. Hopefully, I think uh, I think we're going to really start seeing some, some awesome. really special. Yeah, because there was a time really special where things. Pike County was like yes. oh the whole yeah. the holy grail. Yeah, I don't think it's ever going to get back to that just surely because of that recognition, right? Yeah, the, the, the outfitters and and people like pressure coming numbers, in to buy. People yeah, know but, about yeah, it. yeah, they know. Yeah, it's it's known now. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. So it's no longer a sleeper spot. It's mm-hmm. not a you know, as soon as people know about it, then everybody knows yeah. about it. I mean, we're in an age where through social media and Facebook, I mean, if there's an area that's good, everybody knows yeah. about it. And, yeah, you can't keep it secret, it, right? I mean, that's your preference point creep that you're seeing yeah. everywhere oh, else, yeah. right? It's the same story. Yeah, and it's weird that Illinois doesn't have any preference points. None. Well, <laughs> that's well of course, Wisconsin doesn't either, and that's, yeah. uh, to your point, the most – if you – According to the record books, that right. the best place to go to kill a record book buck, and you can just buy an over the counter tag. Yeah, licensed sales are a good, you know, the, the the state deems that as a good revenue stream. Like to Mike alluded earlier with some of the flaws that we experience there, but um, yeah, no, it, it is. I mean, it, but I, I'm a huge heritage guy, right? Like it's it's about. I mean, we, we talked. We were actually having a conversation about this at the show where the experience, right, and what mm-hmm. and what that really means. And I be coming from Southwest Michigan. I mean, it's a it's deer hunting's a big deal, and yeah. that, now to now to live in a different state, you know, away from home, but still kind of have that, you know, the day be- the, the evening before opening day, and 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 even you know, I'm I'm you know predominantly a bow hunter, and nothing against gun hunting at all, but like that that night before opening day of gun season, like it's a special thing, and I love it. Like I love that culture and that heritage, and everybody. Gun season is a different deal. It is, yeah, yeah. But but people coming together and talking about the deer stories, you really get a lot of that where I where I live now and in, in Pike County. But um, it's as it's much special. social on that gun season as it is. That's the hunting, reason I go right? to gun like, season, right? Right. I my bull hunting season is when I'm really looking to like hunt. You're locked in, yeah. Right, but when I go to gun season. I'm more concerned about the campfire at night. Right. I'm more concerned about playing cards at night. Like, sure, I get out and I do my diligence in the woods, but 
the social aspect of rifle season is so much more important than it is. Bow hunting, I feel, is more of a, it's almost a solo sport. And rifle is like, it's a big community event. And I, it's a different feel. Hmm. Yeah. Another thing to, to not to switch gears, but I'm going to switch gears because <laughs> I want to get Mike's opinion on something uh, that's we're seeing a resurgence in this in the in the in the online world in the forums and on YouTube and on social media. And you've killed everything. You've killed moose and elk and lots of deer. Probably killed other stuff too. I don't know if you've killed goats and stuff bears, like that, but dingoes. Yes. So you've killed a dingo, koala bears. <laughs> Shut you, up! You have you not, not killed, killed a koala, koala bear. bear. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but th- there's this resurgence. Wounded a unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> no recovery on that one. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> Those koalas got me. Online content resurgence. Uh, yeah, the uh, this this heavy arrow deal. So there's there's this resurgence in in people focusing on big heavy arrows and big cut on contact. A lot of times, two blades, single blade, broadheads. And what's your opinion on that? Is it is it valid? Is it are are people just going off the deep end, reacting to to something, or what do you think? Um, it's definitely valid. So I spent a long part of my career shooting traditional equipment, uh, recurves, long bows, and like my whole thing. Given uh, relatively challenged, like with a compound bow, I shoot twenty eight and a half, twenty eight and five eight, something like that draw length. With a recurve, like you're not pulling that same distance. You're just not. Uh, so you have uh, a more challenged draw length, um, and then you have the limitation of just how heavy you can pull, right? Like, there's no way I can shoot a 70-pound recurve. I just can't do that shoulder-wise anymore. Um, so how you make up for that is a good stout arrow that really plays up that momentum component as opposed to uh, the other measurements that you can use to predict maybe penetration power. But I think momentum is the most uh, most predictable in what that outcome will be. And the high FOC obviously going with that, coupled with a cut on contact. There's, I mean, that recipe is like, you know, solid, right? Like, uh, you, it's undeniable, right? Um, now I think there's probably, uh, some middle ground there, like in terms of, uh, avoiding the extremes. Um, but I've long been a proponent of, I love single bevel broadheads. I'm a huge cut on contact guy. Uh, even when I'm shooting, compounds i also firmly firmly believe in micro diameter like all things being equal if i can make it smaller diameter it's going to penetrate deeper Mm. right like it's just going it's it's less friction that you have to get through that animal so do you use any kind of mechanical at all or are you all fixed um depending on the animal and like how long the shots are um if I'm going to go on, like, a predator hunt, like, I have no compunction 
about you know taking a uh, expandable um, where I'm going to shoot like you know 70, 80 yards. Um, like, but for me, like I've just seen too many instances where a cut on contact fixed broadhead saved my shot. Gotcha. Right. Like, and I tend to use, I don't go extreme heavyweight arrows, but I make sure I have an FOC of minimum, you know, 12, 18% somewhere in that range. Uh, yeah. 18% is getting on up there. Yeah. And you can, you can easily, it was harder five years ago because you didn't have the componentry that you have now, right. brass inserts right. that you can right. use. Like all that's, you know, become popular over the, you know, past half decade. So I don't think there's any denying that, you know, those systems work. And I think it's a, a, a matter of like balancing the extremes, right? And certainly with range finders, you know, 25 years ago, I forget when the first Bushnell was introduced. It was sometime early 90s, right, or mid-90s. Like, that changed the game, really. As long as I can know exactly how far that shot is, like, now it takes away uh, any of, some of the downsides in shooting a heavy arrow that has more of a looping trajectory, right? Right, because before as... that, it was, let's make overdraws. Let's shoot <laughs> overdraws, these right? tiny yeah, little yeah, arrows yeah. so they can be as flat as possible. Right. So, I mean, this came up last night, and it's kind of funny. One of the guys at dinner said that, uh, wasn't it Plantronics had the technology for laser rain finding? Uh, uh, Lawrence Electronics. Yeah, and didn't didn't see a value in it, so they sold it to Bushnell. <laughs> I, I don't know how, like, Bushnell got it, but Lawrence could have had it because they used it for some other uh, defense systems that they were involved in. Interesting. That's a cool story. So, you know, in the whole range-finding thing, what's your take on, like, the mm. Garmin and the Bushnell range-finding sites? That's a great question, but before we do that, so what is your grain? what was your grain before we leave the arrow weight thing? So, like, recurve traditional arrows oh, recurve i was always up around about 500 grains oh okay and then yeah. so your arrow now that you're shooting with the 70 pound mm, compound 440 for mm -hmm. so not a huge difference then no okay 420 i thought you were gonna say like 700 like it was gonna be way yeah. most yeah. of those micro diameters which i'm a huge proponent of like i have penetrated fully moose with a 70 pound bow and a 28 inch draw I've gone stem to stern on elk, like literally shooting an elk in the chest at five yards and having it come out a hip. Like, I think a cut on contact and a micro diameter is just like an unbeatable combination. And because they have to get that uh, arrow wall thicker in most cases, those arrows tend to be heavier. As it, you know, just the raw arrow shaft itself. Truer flight. I, I, I that's I see that as well. Another advantage because I agree. Sure, completely. less wind drift. Yeah, sure. and But at five hundred grains, I mean, that's not even what people today are calling a heavy arrow. Yeah, no. that's that's on the verge. Yeah, yeah, it's, close. it's a, a mid. Right. Yeah. yeah. The the new in vogue weight is kind of starts at like five fifty, getting into right. six hundred, and that's kind of what, what what the deal. Is. So I was just curious for 
for you know for you that's killed everything to include a unicorn or at least wounding yeah, a unicorn. Wounded at a unicorn. Yeah, yeah. but those dingoes. Uh, did you get a pass through on that koala? <laughs> oh yeah, I hope like, so. Completely. <laughs> Good. The stuffing both came shoulders. Right out of it. Did you do a full like, body mount shoulders? or just a shoulder? No, mount? coming down from a tree, okay. snarling. All right, good. Yeah. yeah, solid plan. So then back to Ernie's question because that's where I was going to go with it, with the rangefinders, and I think you were going to talk about yeah, like so, garments and stuff. Um, with the rangefinder, and it just this is something that I really am passionate about. Is is what do you think about the Garmin Bushnell, the rangefinding sites? Um, their I think legality. they're fantastic. I think it should be anywhere somebody wants to use those. I think they should be legal. Like, I'll give you a great example, um, and I don't know if they're legal or illegal in Alaska. It depends on your tag. So what I've researched, because I'm actually going to Alaska this right. summer, is that if you're on a general season tag, uh, then they are legal. If so, you're on an archery-only tag, they're mm, not. So I was on a caribou hunt, right? Here comes some caribou out of this river, and they're coming across this whole big field of rock. And I'm behind a hump that's up high. I can't get the range finder to give me, like, holy cow, what's that distance going to be? Because it was rock behind it. It was all, like, sameness, right? So it's like, I'm going to get a shot here. And when that first caribou peeked up over the ledge, it's like, holy cow. It's got to be, you know, it's a big-looking animal compared to a deer, right? So, like, completely got the range wrong, and there was no way, like, based on the time when he showed up and came over that ledge, like, there's no way I'm going to range him, and he's going to sit there for me, sure. right? Mm -hmm. But if I'd have had a bow-mounted range finder, it could have went 39, not 51 that, you know, I shot for and watched the arrow sail clear over his back. Sure. Um, so, I... I like I'm a I'm a big believer that they have a place and I think anybody who wants to use one, like if it makes you more lethal as right. a bowler, why would a state not want you I don't get it to be yeah. more lethal for the tag? Well you and it's have. more ethical. I mean I agree. It's the exact situation you said. That that animal moves mm -hmm. and now all the especially or if you're, you're in a, a situation like I couldn't get there's no way I was gonna get a range on that animal when he showed up then be able to draw the bow. Yep. That's right. You don't have time. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to happen. And how many – what bad hits can it reduce? You know, I mean, sure. what, how it can make you more accurate, like in, more and Especially like in Alaska, like if you draw blood, you, your tag's burned. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. Like legally, like you wound that animal, your hunt should be over. Sure. So in some guys, you know, they say that I've heard this from people that I respect and that are friends of mine that say that it, it takes it, you know, it's too far. It's too much of an advantage. And I respectfully disagree because really the only advantage it gives you is time. Because we still have the same technology. Right. It, it's not like you it's a new thing. You have to execute the shot. You have right. to do all the steps just You still right. have to get within effective bow range yeah. of that animal. Well, and, and it's not like we didn't have range finders before. All it does is it save you it saves you the step of, raising a range finder, getting the range and putting it. So it's just an efficiency in time, right? So I don't really see how it's that big of a deal. And I'm a big fan. I shot three deer in 2019, and I don't know how far any of them were because yeah. I use the Garmin Zero, and I get the pen, and I pull the trigger. Yeah. I'm. Why are you laughing at me? I 
Is that a bad no, thing? No, I think it's awesome. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, like I do know the furthest one was 34 yards because I remember <laughs> it popped up, and that was the furthest whitetail shot I'd ever taken. Was really? 34, 34? yards. Oh, 34 nice. yards was the furthest whitetail shot. Congratulations. We won't talk about the rest of that story because <laughs> I already told one embarrassing story, so we'll leave that one alone. The but biggest deer that I shot this year turned out to be the biggest deer of my life. <clears throat> he came in and – was broadside and by the time I got my bull and came to draw he turned 90 degrees and started walking away and so he's walking straight away from me and all of a sudden he stopped and he turned broadside again and I'm still at full draw traditionally I would have had to guess how far away is he right I would yep. have had to let down my draw grab my rangefinder Get a thing. Meanwhile, panic is like yeah, your adrenaline is just through the body. roof. And yeah. Panic is not the right word for it. I mean, this was like beyond panic. And this was change your pants mode. Yeah. And uh, instead, I just hit the button on my riser. I got a new range, got a new pin, sent the arrow, and a hundred yards later, he was dead. I I guarantee, I would not have been able to accomplish that deer without that Garmin sight this year. Guarantee. It's it's no question. And nine out of ten, nine out of ten hunters, though, in my opinion, I, you know, I could be wrong, but nine out of ten hunters that are looking at the biggest deer of their life and they have an ethical shot, they just don't know how far it is, but it's a perfectly ethical shot. They're gonna wing it. They're gonna say, "I know he was at twenty. I sure. think he walked like ten with yards." All the I'm guessing that's went into making that opportunity right. there. It's like I'm gonna force the issue. I'm winging it, right? Yeah. Like I think it's that. Here we go. Well, and the reason I have a Garmin is because I missed a giant deer two years ago because he hung up behind some trees, and I'm at full draw waiting for him to come out. And by the time he stepped out, I panicked, and I shot the 20-yard pin, which is what I had been practicing all summer. So I went back to what's comfortable. Mine says yeah. 20 yards. Yeah, yep. and I shot right underneath him, and uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. But, but a he week. stood around and waited for you to give him another arrow. Yeah, to oh, re knock yeah, and draw. Yeah, exactly. And then range <laughs> and make sure. Yeah. And I, I bought another, you know, it was more of a mechanical range finding site after that. And I never even got it installed before I bought the Garmin. I mean, it was just like as soon as I saw the Garmin and what it did. I put it on the bowl, and I've never looked back. I feel yeah, like every podcast we talk about the Garmin. Because Does anybody so like the it Burris? So like, I've heard some good things about yeah. that Burris, too. I, I mean, we looked at them before before we purchased. We looked at them side by side two ATAs ago, so it yep. would have been 2019 ATA. And I just felt nothing against Burst. I've never used it. It might be freaking awesome. I just felt like the the zero from Garmin was more refined mm -hmm. and felt a little bit more a, a little bit more technologically advanced. Maybe it's not, but that's the way I felt I, about it. Because I think IQ came out with like a price pointed one too, didn't they? Did I see? Uh, I don't yeah, even they, know. No, they they did last. Like they launched it last, not at 2020 but the 2019 ata I think oh, okay they, they released it but it's more of a it was more of like the hookup click on the on the front of the grip of the riser click the button and then it kind of gives you the read sure. or whatever but at a, at a at a more economical for tv price. like some states we go to allow it some states we don't so it's like all right i'm you gonna go to the lowest it. common denominator and not even mess with that it. i can yeah. that i can use in every single state we might potentially sure. yeah go to I get i'll it. tell you when i have to take it off and put on my pin sight, <laughs> I have a little panic attack yeah. going on those hunts because it's like, what if this What do I do? Yeah. It's, like, it's like, even though I hunted for years without it, 
I don't like going back. It's like back to 2018. Yeah, it's exactly. terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like we were talking in saddles like or or sticks. Like yeah. go back to 2018. It's like, wow. Like sure. the choices that we have now. Like you still have to wait for some of them, right? Like sure. you can't get as much as you might want $140 Hawk Helium 20-inch or 18-inch sticks that are cut down to two, like, you're going to wait. Right. Yep. Like, you're going to hope. Like, but you, you get at least you can. For, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a product that should be arriving at retail soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think they're going to they're gonna have a home run with that, with those 20-inch sticks. They're, yeah. they're pretty. I think they're, like, 17 or 18 yeah. is what they're actually, but still. like. So it's made for our uh, Beagle inseam yes. guys. Yeah. Beagle? beagle? Yeah, so I running joke with Ernie. Yeah. I have the inseam of a beagle. Uh, beagle? Beagle yeah. inseam. <laughs> Which affects my step height. So, uh-huh. you know, as you had talked before, your rung height, I have to go short rungs. Yeah. Like, we made some aiders before we went up to hunt in Michigan, and I'm going to make fun of Ernie a little bit here. But we were like, uh, Carl was helping us, the wizard Carl. We, we made, we Captain actually made. Captain Carl. Captain Carl. Um, I won't say his other name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, uh, we made this video in Minnesota, actually, and we called it the most expensive aider ever because we bought carbon rods, solid carbon rods, three-eighths-inch rods, and we cut them all up. We spent like 100, 200 bucks on these stupid oh rods, and we sewed them into an aider to make a nice, solid step. And Ernie, Carl was like, all right. So let's get tubular, tubular, right. put them in the middle. Nylon webbing. Yep. Yeah. And yep. we ended up losing every single carbon rod because they, they spit out from the right. tubular webbing. Went right through the So it was tubular. a terrible, yeah. it didn't work, which <laughs> seems like half of our ideas don't work. But anyway. How you going to know? Unless you got to try. Yeah, you got to try. You got to try. That's it. it. And uh, so Carl's getting the measurements. He's like, all right, I'm, this is going to be 18. And he's like, all right, step length for everybody for the eighters. Uh, and what's normal? 15, 18 inches? And Ernie's like. 12. 12. I'll take yeah. a 12. <laughs> yeah. It was like taking little Oompa Loompa steps oh, to get up man. the thing. But I was actually glad that we did because it was nice having those little short steps. But Yeah, it yeah. worked out good. I mean, until the until they basically imploded. <laughs> but otherwise, And yeah. then they sunk even further away because I went with like a 15 or 17-inch step because it was solid. So it was like just climbing a ladder. Oh. But then once they once we lost the carbon rods and they sunk down three inches, and then I had a longer step, and it was problematic. Like, so. look, everybody's systems evolve, like, over time as, like, practices and things change. I've watched a lot of your G2 videos, of like, obviously, like, where your mind was three years ago relative to the equipment that was available at the time. What today do you guys do aider wise like when i first heard the term aider i'm like what in the hell? i had no idea what, what it? it was are either. they talking yeah. about i had what, no idea what's this aider like you'll yeah. laugh because my aider is the same as it was five years ago i buy a five-step etrier from rei climbing <laughs> like yeah. uh uh for climbing mountains yeah. and stuff like that that they yep. use right the uh, the the, the kind of off-centered one Right. right, so you got a center tube that goes down, yep. and then you have like a like Step a ladder, on each. ladder oh. style, like a side side yeah. ladder. And style. I still use the same ones that I had five years ago. And I, it's back to my you know short steps. The aider that I use all the time 
the third step, I don't think they hit the tolerance on, and I have a just a bear of a time. <laughs> Sometimes I have to like pull my leg up to get into that third step. It's always the help, third one. It is. Help it's the leg. same step on that same. eighter every time, and I know it. Damn it, here it comes. So <laughs> it's on the way up, I can barely get my foot in it. On the way down, I can barely get my foot out. And it's just like that's what. But it's the same eighter I've used for five years. So I'm kind of in the same boat, right? I'm five foot seven, so I'm I'm not a big guy. So I need multiple steps on on each climbing stick. Because I refuse to carry more than three climbing sticks. I don't care how big it is. I want. I will only carry three. I'm. I'm a gram weenie. I count <laughs> ounces. And so what I used to do is I made my own aiders, but I had one aider attached to each stick. One dedicated. Four, yes, aider. it was attached permanently. Mm-hmm. Right. And I did that until in your state, I had a buck come up. See that aider? Sniff your aider. Well, he it. saw it. Was it moving? It was moving. He saw it. In the it was moving. Yeah, and yeah. I've had guys tell Dave me. Dave Tom's had a story like yes, that too. Multiple guys have heard, yeah. and I've had people call me a liar on social media saying deer can't see those aiders. They can't see that. I totally They're blind. It. Well, like Whoa. stuff I've seen moves. It I totally believe it. I've seen it happen. And they he, see it move. He saw and it. They look right. He up walked the up. He saw it. I, he obviously didn't know it was an aider, but he saw something moving, and then I think it just looked congruent. Like, what's this go to? And nothing is congruent <laughs> in nature, right? So if you had these these congruent things going up the tree, and he's like, what's that? And he followed it up, and he saw me. And obviously, I froze, but he just knew something That's was Greg up. That's Greg Godfrey. He saw me, and he bolted. I mean, I'm a, I'm a freak about the my my stick straps even yeah. the slack yeah. strap I, it gets wrapped up and tucked yeah. and i don't i it does not because right, the wind blows it absolutely and you're gonna, yeah it's it's movement right so now i what have one aider that i carry up with yeah. me i mean deer look for your movement. method you carry just as like you go aider. i use your method now yeah. um yep. i i have one five-step aider and then i attach to the top of the step just like you do like you showed in your yep. video and then i have three steps and i i just climb up the steps with that aider i just carry it with me yep What's what steps? Um, I'm using leverage sticks. Oh, so leverage those, sticks, yeah. and then also yep. hawk helium sticks that I cut down that because, you modified. Well, it used to be you could only get was a thirty. That excellent. Inch. It was an excellent YouTube video that is now useless. Useless. <laughs> totally useless. Yeah. Well, if you have some old hawk heliums and you wanna cut them down but good on hawk for seeing that stuff yeah. and seeing that it's that totally hunters wanted it. driven by the saddle you know explosion well it's a mobile hunter it doesn't have That's to be saddle. Exactly. well i yeah <clears throat> the mobile hunter i think primarily saddle but yes mobile hunting yeah yeah yeah, I think it's cool though. I think it's cool that some companies like Hawk no, and, is awesome. and you got Beast Gear and Lone Wolf Custom Gear and some of these people are listening to we want light, we want portable, we want ultralight stuff. But the ha- smaller, more nimble companies can react quicker. Sure. Like yeah. getting a Hawk who's part of the giant GSM right. conglomerate to do it. Like took a little more effort. Like how many videos are there? You probably did the best YouTube video i've ever seen on the steps required yeah right and the drilling required to get everything just right like it, that's not an easy project to pull off if you don't want well, to talk of your timing tools hawk actually talked about an 18 inch stick at the 2019 ata they said we're gonna have it this fall and it never happened and then they kind of 
reemerged with that same idea, the 2020 ATA, and now it's actually available. Right. So they're not able to turn on a dime. They got there. Those ones you saw today, like it took heaven and earth to Really? Where did those come from? Do you from? know of anybody else that has them? No. no, I was I saw those. I was like, where did those come from? I know. They may Leprechaun. They may find <laughs> they may find their way into my vehicle. Because <laughs> I know where you're parked. <laughs> I was surprised none of that stuff after the seminar went away. Like normally there's at least one thing that ends up misplaced. Yeah, sure. Um, well, if I'm in the room, you can count on. You better put your valuables yeah, away. Yeah. <laughs> well, you do have a history. We heard the Wisconsin story. Right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we've been talking for quite a while, and I want to respect you guys' time. Mike, I know you got to drive back uh, back home tonight, and I don't know if you're going home tonight or not, but um, – yeah, we've been talking for an over over an hour now, so let's just kind of wrap wow, it up. Is it really? Yeah, it goes by oh, fast. Yeah, it's fun. It's been almost ninety minutes. Yeah, plus I'm hungry. We need to go get some food. <laughs> yeah. So, final thoughts. Go kind of go around the room. Michael, let get you let you say what you want to say, and then we'll kind of move out. Really interesting for me, like because I came to settle hunting late, and uh, like learning the whole process and seeing how everything evolved. Like, to go to an ATA show and see the busiest booth be a direct-to-consumer booth, because yeah, not even for ATA dealers. Yeah, we caught a lot of uh, a misery over that, by the way. I th- it kind of is, is what, what it, what is, it is, right? Like, you know, it's neither – it's benign. It's just what's the way the world is going, right? Like, uh, did – Buggy whip manufacturers go like, oh, man, like, <laughs> world is coming to an end. This is crap. Like, nobody wants buggy whip. Just things change, mm-hmm. right? So to see uh, everything evolving so fast, uh, relatively speaking, uh, and the equipment choices that we had, like, just two years ago. It's fast. Mm-hmm. The last two like, years has been nuts. You know, the... You know, pick any category, sticks, steps, saddles, ropes, materials, right? Like, it's kaboom. Like, really, right now, I don't think consumers have ever had it better in the mobile arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure, saddle hunters. I mean, that's that's the whole deal with saddle hunters. There's, there was never options. There was never commercial stuff. You had to DIY it. And, and now, ho- however good everywhere. your skills were, yeah. or if you could order something from a guy who had some, like right. convince a guy on Saddle Hunter, like, hey, would you make me one of those? Yep. Right? Like, a lot of that went on. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. I agree it's with you. Incredible. It's cool. It's better for hunters at the end yes. of the day. Is it Hunters win. Yeah. You know? yep. And then as we continue to go, you know, prices are going to come down, and there's going to be even more, and it's just going to be good for hunters. I agree, I, and I agree with Mike totally. I'm I'm personally late to the game as far as, a, as saddle hunting goes, but you you're know, never you're never too late, Alex. Never There's too late. That's right. Never too late. To agree. The game, Absolutely. Right? No, it's you're it, in the game. I'm in it, and and mobile hunting for many years, and and to find this is so exciting. I mean, I think the inc- one of the amazing things I think about this industry, and, and you look at maybe not to get on a soapbox, but the next generation and what's available for them technology in our space in the hunting industry and hunting products and manufacturers has been focused so much on advancing technology to make things more efficient 
and uniform for hunters. I think overall across categories. Now you've gotten to a point where things aren't so uniform and thank God for, for tethered and saddle hunting and mobile hunting to where you've now have technology focused more on educating the masses at how versatile and useful this thing is. So instead of technology being driven towards how we make this thing uniform and functional for everyone, now you have technology focusing on, you know, YouTube videos, uh, different materials, things like that on educating people on how to use it to your advantage to do other things. So I think we're now pushing through this threshold of like a glass ceiling of where, okay, technology things have gotten as good as they're going to get here we go now you have something that the younger generation and not even younger generation but anyone anyone that loves the outdoors and passionate can look to and say here's this thing that this these guys innovated and 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 can do more and, and we can take this new spin on something we love to do or something i'm even interested in for a new person and advance that into the to the outdoors and what's to come to me it excites the heck out of me i mean to what what can come and what's what's down the road and and how it doesn't have to be uniform and people don't have to, you know, you don't have to force a square peg in a round hole. And it's, you can take this application and just go have fun and experience and, and just make it what it's about. I mean, that's, that's what it's so exciting. And then what I found this new, I found a, personally, I guess I found this new resurgence of passion and, and love for, for tinkering, for mm-hmm. making things better, for like tweaking and messing with, because it just, Frankly, I mean, in my opinion, I think it kind of that kind of got lost over the last ten years of, you know, okay, here's this uniform of 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 products and things, and you you buy it and you use it as it is, and you know, of course, you can you can you know mess with it, but I think what you guys have done in in the realm of this is 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 open up a whole new door of opportunity for for take it, make it your own, and just love it, and and I think that's what's to me. Well, it's and it's just fun. Yeah, I mean, so it fun. really so is yeah. like returned yeah. like an element of fun to let's like, man, when I saw this, like I want to learn to do that. Like I've got to try that. And then then you kind of make it. Well, not kind of you make it yours Absolutely. depending on what your setup is, how you're going to put your gear together, which components you like, which accessories like you make it yours. And it's a very satisfying way to harvest an animal and i mean everybody has opinions and and angles to exactly to your point mike and it's like it almost gives this whole reason for conversation among hunters like if people that do it like what's your aider style what's your climbing method what's my climbing i mean it's (laughs) it's awesome oh my and it just and it it just it just what sticks do you like yeah like a dual step do you like a folding absolutely and and, i mean to to, for people to get that you know excited and things like that there's and, and what's what i love so much is it's it's not nothing against the you know the the fixed blade mechanical or the expandable conversation where it's like there's almost like a right or wrong thing what you like what this has done this category there's no it's almost not even an element of right or wrong it's just what works for me what works right. for you sure. and how do you do it there's no wrong way to yeah. do it yeah so it's been really cool well and if we can because of that fun factor right and because of the it's unique and and because of all the little things that are involved in it if we can parlay that into getting more people in the woods because they're excited exactly. about it, exactly. that's the best part. Man, if we can start building the hunting community because or we're – Or revitalizing. We're, yeah. Like bringing guys Revi- back exactly. who've fallen out. Exactly. Yeah. If we can re- do that because we've added an aspect of fun or an aspect of intrigue or even just a like, man, I just – I didn't really like the way this was and, and – 
one of our pro staff guys, Andy May, had kind of given up tree stand hunting because his back hurt all the yeah. time. And now he's in a saddle, and he's like, this is the best thing ever. It, it put him back in a tree. I can hunt comfortably again. Yeah. yeah. You're, yeah. You're, and, you're, and to your all of kind of y'all said similar things. And um, to me, what it does is it keeps me in the game year-round. And I went from – Ending in December or January or whenever my hunting season is over, and now I jump into, all right, what sucked about my setup? <laughs> what can I improve on? What yeah, can system. I do better? Yeah. Like, what did I hate? What things? <laughs> right. And then I go, and then my brain's in Ernie's, like, similar. And, I, Mike, you're the same way, too. You're starting to figure this stuff out. And um, it's like, what can I do better? And then I get in the garage, and I start tinkering, and I start talking Just to my buddies. Just watching your videos on G2 Outdoors from – like start if you if you organized your videos by time, okay, right. So I go to your YouTube channel and I order you uh, organize your videos by time. Like seeing what you were doing three years ago mm-hmm. compared to seeing what you're and sure equipment's changed, but the approach has also changed. Yeah, I would say right? you're right. You know, but but the point um, that I want maybe other people to understand too is that it keeps you connected to yes i'm I'm, more of a year round it is it's not okay i'm done with deer season now let's go fishing it's it yeah i go fishing we should go we should go (laughs) (laughs) we're going fishing but but i'm constantly i'm tinkering you you made that point it's Mm -hmm. bringing like the diy and the tinkering back and there's nothing wrong with it as long as you're doing it safe and you're testing stuff out like go have fun with it and it brings a whole a whole other element to what, like you said, Alex, like a lot of people weren't used to that. And there's a whole other element of gear and DIY that you can do. And it's awesome and it's fun and it's more rewarding. Like you said, Mike, when you sneak in on that buck bed by using an aider that you created or you sewed or you had the idea for in your system and you're quiet, you're like, yeah, I just crushed that. That was awesome. It matters. Yeah. It, it adds more value to the hunt. So, so tell me about this. Like these are two situations, <laughs> and I find myself good. Do you ever just walk down the aisles of Home Depot yeah, and bad. look at stuff? And just be <laughs> I like, can use that. I, I can, can use that. that. Yeah. I can use that. <laughs> or do you ever go to a sporting goods store and look at something, and you look at so- it? It might be a two hundred dollar item. And you know the first thing you're going to do when you get home is cut it in half <laughs> and destroy a $200 item because it's not quite right. It's not quite right. Yeah. It's and like the tree stands you I used to buy. I can fix this. Yeah. <laughs> I, can fix, I can make this better. Yeah. yeah. Well, Where's I mean, that Sawzall? Exactly. Well, Ernie Ernie was known on, on the saddle hunting forums for a while because he was buying $300 lone wolves and cutting them apart. Like, get the lone wolf, the old lone wolf, yep. cut it up and turn it into a saddle platform. Yeah, I was, I was, well, and yeah, it's it spent a bunch of money on something <laughs> and cut it up and then turn it around into something and else. And you're still married. <laughs> My wife is a saint, and that's a whole nother discussion. She should have left me, well, when I met, but <laughs> <laughs> she didn't, so. I've heard Ernie's wife, I heard these words, or else I would say it was a lie. We were having a conversation. I was in Minnesota, and she goes, you know, we we're talking about all the stuff we got to do, and you know, we're small business owners now, and so there's there's never a, a right a, you know shortage Downtime. of things to oh, do, yeah, right? This was good. And so she's, you know, we're talking about all this stuff, and she goes, Ernie, what you really need to do is let me worry about the details, and you go hunt more. And I was like, <laughs> <"Ur>, what? <laughs> Where's the recording of that? Where's the? Re- 
said no woman ever. <laughs> I heard her say it. She literally was like, was she you, looking for like a new car? To yeah, buy right. A no. House? no, this is my like wife. She new... literally said, you and Greg need to hunt more. You need to create content. You need to do what you're good at. Let me manage the logistics at the shop. You guys get out there and create the brand, create the stuff. I'll handle this stuff. She wow. said, go hunt more. So enlightened, this woman. This yeah. Woman. This Val. Yeah. <laughs> and awesome. she literally said, you need to hunt more. Yeah, she said those words. And is, Greg, is it St. Val? You need Saint, to yeah. hunt more. <laughs> <laughs> and and Greg was like, he couldn't even, he's like, what? He's in the car. Speechless. Yeah, I, think I, a, I think I had a heart attack. Mini stroke. But we've been talking long enough. Appreciate uh, Mike and Alex for coming on the podcast. I know you Great guys to are be busy. Here. Um, yeah. We had a great show. Um, it was awesome hanging out with you again, Mike, and then Alex. You know, we've met once before, but it was awesome to hang out with you. We spent For some sure. time together, and it was great. So uh, we got to do this again next time we're at a show. We got to hang out and do some more, and then we're gonna I- do it during uh, after a fishing trip for smallmouth out of our kayaks in. there you go we absolutely have to do that in come up to minnesota we'll put the kayaks in the rum river and we'll come down there we'll catch a pile of smallmouth. and Smallies. those smallmouth, when they live in the river they're fighting the current all day so they they're are they really got shoulders shoulders, yeah. they're shoulders. that's what i'm talking about yeah. yeah i'll catch the biggest smallmouth. and at that we're gonna <laughs> let it go we will see you guys catch you guys next time on the tethered nation podcast